Welcome to Murder by Nature, where we discuss true crime, mystery disappearances, and unsolved cases. I'm Jasmine Hernandez, your host today. So before we dive into our episode, I just wanted to thank everybody for listening to our podcast. I cannot believe how many people listen to this on a weekly basis and come back to listen to it again at that. I was going through all of the stats and I go through everything. I want to see who's doing what, where it's coming from. I love data. That's what I do in my actual job. Um, I work with digital marketing. So being able to see all the data of this and doing this as a hobby, I am like blown away. We're about to release, I believe, our 13th episode this week. And I have people from all around the world listening into this and It just makes me super excited. I am so excited for this. Um, I am going to be releasing video episodes going into the month of September. I have majority of the equipment that I need now, I think. I have to redo my office, um, which I'm really excited about. I love freshening things up every so often, but I have to redo my office because I did get a backdrop because I have pictures and horror-themed movie posters all over my office. And I don't want that to be the focal point of the background. So I need to put up an actual background and that will get done. And then I'm just waiting for two more things to come in the mail and we will be good to go. So we will bring this to YouTube probably into the middle of September, but definitely going into October. But I just want to say thank you guys for listening. There's so many different countries and so many people around the world that are listening into this. And I know for sure there aren't people that I know because I don't know people there. (laughs) But if you guys have any recommendations on different um, stories you would like to hear, send them in. Um, There's a link in my TikTok, Instagram, and I believe on my best sprout profile. So send those in. I have a lineup of so many different cases. And if you follow us on TikTok, which we are so close to hitting 5,000 followers, super exciting. But if you follow us, you kind of have an idea of the case that I'm going to be talking about today. I released a little sneak peek yesterday over there. And this case is the Chicken Coop Murders. This case has a lot of twists and turns. So a trigger warning, there is incest, rape, and molestation within this case. So take that as we go into the murders of the Chicken Coop. Our references today are Wikipedia, Crime Museum, Ranker, All That Is Interesting, Criminal Minds, Heather Moore Medium, Grunge, N Academy, The Clio, Murderpedia, and The Channeling Movie by Clint Eastwood. And with that, we're going to dive into the Chicken Coop Murders. Our story begins in a city called Wineville. Now, you won't find Wineville, California anywhere on a map. This Southern California town did exist, but it vanished in 1930. What happened in the small town that would rattle the townspeople to the core was known as the Chicken Coop Murders. These crimes were so crazy that the townspeople couldn't bear to be associated with Wineville anymore. This town instead changed its name to Mariloma, California. Gordon Stewart Norcott was born in Blanford, Satchua, Canada. He was raised in the British Columbia and moved to Los Angeles, California with his parents in 1924. Two years later, at the age of 19, 
he asked his father to purchase a land in the community of Wineville. This was located in Riverside, California. He would build a chicken ranch and a house with the help of his father and his nephew, 11-year-old Stanford Clark. It was under this pretext that Norcott brought Clark from Blandford to the United States. On March 10, 1928, nine-year-old Walter Collins disappeared. He was last seen around 5 p.m. by a neighbor on the corner of Pasadena Avenue and North Avenue 23rd in Lincoln Heights, Los Angeles. His mother, Christine Collins, gave him some money to go to a movie theater nearby and watch a new movie that came out. The Los Angeles Police Department was already under investigation for several corruption scandals and their inability to locate Walter Collins. The police chief, James Davis, was under a lot of pressure to solve the case, though. The police looked all throughout Lincoln Park Lake, but were unable to find anything. Collins's father was a former prison inmate, and he thinks that they were responsible for his son's disappearance in an attempt to get revenge. See, his dad worked in the prison's cafe, and he was responsible for reporting a lot of inmate infractions. So he worked and was kind of like a little spy and would listen to things and then get them in more trouble. With this sort of job, it is possible that he made more than a few enemies. And with him being locked away, who knows what those enemies could have done. Several tips came in, but nothing turned out to be very useful. A gas station attendee in Glendale, Richard, reported a dead boy wrapped a newspaper in the back of a car with a foreign couple. See, the foreign couple stopped to ask for directions, and he said that he saw the dead boy in the back. A man named C.V. Stanley followed the couple when they left the gas station. The couple stopped a few moments in front of a police station and then sped away out of town, losing Stanley. When the police showed them the photo of Walter Collins, they both said that that was the boy in the back of the car. Other tips, though, came in about a couple traveling around the United States with a boy who was begging them to let him go home. Walter's disappearance, though, it wasn't the only one in this town. There was a few other ones that were happening. Nelson and Lewis Wilson, 10 and 12-year-old brothers, went missing on their way home to Pomona. They went missing on May 16, 1928. Their parents received strange letters from them, though. The first stated that they were headed to Mexico, and then the second stated that they planned on staying missing as long as possible to become famous. See, the Los Angeles Police Department didn't connect these two cases, though. They didn't think that they had anything to do with each other. They also did not connect a case that happened in February of this same year in La Puente. Police found the body of a Latino boy decapitated, and this rocked them, but they never did anything about it. Now, with all three of those cases, there's something that kind of struck the townspeople's odd. Neighbors were making complaints about a man mistreating a boy at his poultry farm. But the police, again, did not connect this at all to any of these cases. In August of 1928, Illinois police picked up a boy who told them his name was Arthur Kent. At first, he would say that his father abandoned him, so they placed him with a temporary home. Eventually, he told police that his real name was Walter Collins from Los Angeles, California, and that he has been avoiding their questions to protect his father. Illinois police contacted California police. They sent, phot- they sent photographs back and forth of the boy and later decided to send him to Los Angeles. 
The California authorities contacted Christine Collins and showed her the photos of her son. She immediately said, that was not my son. However, Captain J.J. Jones talked her into trying out the boy for a little bit. I don't know about you, but I know my kids from a mile a minute. And if I said someone was not my child, they probably are not my child. But back then, these these guys, they were under so much pressure from trying to solve the case to things that were happening within the police force. They just wanted it to be over with. So they told her to try it out and see what happens. Three weeks after their reunion, Christine Collins brought the boy back to the police station. She brought with her Walter's dental, dental records and a signed statement from people who knew Walter saying that this boy was not him. Captain Jones called her a lunatic and claimed that she was trying to get the state to take care of her child and believe that she was just too embarrassed with the police department. He threw her into a psychiatric ward in Los Angeles County General Hospital on a Code 12. A Code 12 allows police officers to get rid of troublemakers by throwing them into psychiatric hospitals. So I know in the state of California, we don't have many psych wards anymore. Um, not ones that you go and stay in like what they did back then. And a lot of that is due to the fact that people that were going into psychiatric wards weren't actually psych psychotic. They didn't have things like that. And the people that really needed them weren't giving that care. And that's where Code 12 came in, is if they just didn't want to deal with you, they told you that you were insane, and bam, you're in a psych ward now. The Los Angeles Police Department initially continued to insist that Christine Collins had her son. They only discontinued this belief when a handwriting expert came in to analyze their writing styles. This expert ended up concluding that the boy's handwriting was definitely not a match to the samples collected from previous years. See, for me, I'm in California. We're taught different ways to talk as well as our writing styles. And this is the same for the East Coast. There's different ways and different things in how you pronounce things and the way that we write. This is where it came in with this case. The strange R's that the boy used are commonly caught in Illinois. Illinois sorry, and not found in California. So again, because we have so many different cultural differences from the East Coast to the West Coast, things that I do here and the way that I say things aren't always the same when you go into the East Coast setting. I may have an accent from the way that I talk and people from there have accents to me. So when police are looking at different things, they they take that into account because that can really help pinpoint where people are from. The things that they do, their actions, the way that they hold themselves is always going to be geared towards their environment. Now, with this, Christine has been incarcerated in the psychiatric ward this entire time. And Jones decides that he's going to question the boy. 12-year-old Arthur H Hitchens Jr., ends up admitting that he is a runaway originally from Iowa and a drifter at the roadside cafe in Illinois. They said that all that Arthur ended up looking like Walter and they knew that Walter was from California. So Arthur decided to come up with this plan that he was going to impersonate Walter. He said that his motive was only to get to Hollywood so that he could meet his favorite actor. Now, 
Hollywood isn't very far from me now. I'm in Riverside County. It's not very far from where I'm at. But I can only imagine back in the 1920s that it was probably a really, really long time to get from Riverside County to Los Angeles County. I feel like that that would have been a trek for a 12-year-old. Christine was released 10 days after Arthur admitted that he was not her son. So they did keep her in there for 10 more days. Now, in 1928, 15-year-old Stanford Clark had been working on the chicken ranch with his 19-year-old cousin, Gordon Stewart Norcott. Jesse Clark had been concerned about her brother because she said something didn't seem right. Something was strange about her brother's letters, so she decided to make a trip down from Canada to see him. Despite Gordon's efforts to make sure that the siblings were never alone, he didn't want them by themselves. Jesse managed to wield out the truth of her brother. Their cousin had not only been sexually abusing him, he was also a murderer. Stanford asked his sister if she recalled reading in the papers about a little boy that was kidnapped named Walter Collins. Collins has vanished in March of 1928 on his way to see a movie, and Stanford then went on to say Gordon killed him. Gordon kept Collins at the ranch for a little bit over a week, and then he killed the boy when people started searching for him. He also told his sister about the murder of two other boys, as well as a Mexican ranch hand Stewart had shot and decapitated. A terrified Jesse decides she's going to fly back to Canada. And when she does, she told the American consul the whole story, who then alerted the Los Angeles Police Department. On August 31st, 1928, the police in Los Angeles sent immigration officers Judson F. Shaw and George W. Skelhorn to Wineville to check on Stanford. Gordon was driving down the road with his mother, Sarah Louise Gordon, and they saw the officers approaching and decided they were going to hide out until they could hot-tail it to Canada. The officers found Stanford at the ranch with Gordon's father, Cypress, and took them both into custody. While awaiting deportation, Stanford's conscience grew heavy. He told his jailers everything. He explained how Gordon raped him and how he would kidnap other little boys and rape them too. He said to the police that Gordon, along with his mother, even killed some of the boys and forced him to murder them also. The cops showed Stanford's photographer the cops showed Stanford photos of several missing boys. And with this, he was able to identify Nelson and Louise Wilson and also Walter Collins. He also recalled a time that Gordon kept a Mexican boy in the chicken coop and killed him too. When the police realized that they found the headless body of a Mexican boy seven months prior in a nearby town of La Puente, California, They called for an immediate extraction and arrested Gordon Stewart Norcott and his mother. On September 15, 1928, Stanford told investigators that his uncle kidnapped him and physically and sexually abused him. Now, he also said that he made him watch the abuse of other boys and murders of Walter Collins, Nelson, and Louise Wilson. Now, This is where I'm going to say it's going to get a little weird. So Gordon used to make Stanford even participate in these acts. Stanford was very young at this time. And this is something that ended up carrying with him into life. And we'll get into that later. 
Gordon abducted the boys to rape them, and then when he would get bored, he would lead lead them into an incubator room to see hatching chickens, and then he would kill them with an axe. So the chicken farm was a real farm. He really did have chickens, and he was raising them and selling them, and he used that as his cover-up. Stanford told the police that they would be able to find the graves near the chicken coop for the brothers and for Walter. Two graves were found, but the bodies were not fully there, only pieces of bone. Axes found among the farm with other equipment had human hair and blood on them. Several bones were scattered across the ranch, which people later determined that that was from male children. So they had friends go out there, they tested them, and it was from male children. Inside the house, a book checked out by one of the brothers was found, and also more letters to the parents were written. So all of the letters were coming from Gordon. Gordon's father, Cypress, told police two days later that his son had admitted the murders to him. But by that time, Gordon and his mother, Louise, left town. On September 20th, 1928, Gordon was arrested in British Columbia alongside with his mother. In December, the police took Gordon back to his ranch and attempt to get more information from him. While there, he verbally confessed the five murders, including the brothers, Walter, and the Mexican boy. However, later that day, Gordon only admitted to one homicide in a written confession, which was the murder of the Mexican boy. Gordon's mother confessed to the murder of Walter Collins. She said that she delivered the final blow to the boy and buried him in a hole near the chicken coop. Stanford Clark said that his grandmother told them that if they each hit the boy, they would equally be guilty if they were caught. But Sarah was convicted of this crime and sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Walter Collins. Gordon's trial began in January of 1929. He fired several defense attorneys and proceeded to defend himself during this trial. He admitted to abusing young boys because he loved them. He even had said that his mother would testify for him, and she did. She claimed that he was actually that she was actually his grandmother because her husband raped her daughter Winifred, and Gordon was Winifred's son. Now Gordon also claims that he had a very um, sexual relationship with Sarah, which he was grown up to believe was his mother, and that his father also molested him. Gordon's defense was rather odd, and it was obvious that he was no lawyer. Although with the strange defense. Sarah didn't prove to be very credible. She would tell the jury that she would do anything for Gordon. She would continuously say that she would do anything for him. So she couldn't be used as a credible witness. Gordon was implicated of the murder of Walter Collins because his mother already confessed to it and was sentenced to it. So the state decided not to pursue Gordon for that murder. It was speculated that Gordon may have killed as many as 20 boys, but the state of California could not produce evidence to support that. Ultimately, the state only brought charges against Gordon for the murders of the unidentified underage Mexican nation, the headless Mexican, and the brothers, Lewis and Nelson. On February 8th, 1929, an all-male jury convicted Gordon of first-degree murders of the Wilson brothers and the anonymous victim. Judge George R. Freeman sentenced him to death. Gordon was hanged on October 2nd, 1930. And as for Stanford, he was never tried. He was seen as a victim in the entire case. After Gordon was sentenced, Sarah attempted to commit suicide and begged authorities not to execute her son. 
She said, I got a square deal. If they'll just be good to my boy, if they just won't hang him. Now, after she learned that her son was going to be hanged, Sarah begged authorities to hang her as well. Sarah served her sentence at the state prison and was paroled after less than 12 years. She died in 1944. Now, Christine came, became very help, like hopeful. She was hoping that her son, Walter, might still be alive after her first communication with Gordon. She asked Gordon if he killed her son, and after listening to his repeat lies, confessions, and then recants, she concluded that Gordon was insane. She said that Gordon didn't seem to know whether he'd even met Walter, much less killed him, so she clung to that hope that Walter was still alive. Gordon sent Christine a telegram shortly before his execution, saying that he had lied when he denied Walter was amongst his victims. He promised to tell her the truth if she came in person to hear it. And a few hours before the execution, Christine visited Gordon. But upon her arrival, he yelled, I don't want to see you. He said she was confronting him. I don't know anything about it. I'm innocent. A news account said the distraught woman was outraged by Gordon's conduct, but also was comforted by it. She said that Gordon's ambitious replies and him to to seeming refuse to remember such details of Walter's clothing, the color of his eyes, gave her hope that her son was still alive at this time. Now, Christine ended up filing a lawsuit against the Los Angeles Police Department, and on September 13, 1930, she won that lawsuit against Jones. She was awarded $10,800. This is equivalent to about 162000 in 2020. Like, I would say not now because of inflation, but back in 2021. But Jones never paid. The last newspaper account of Christine is from 1941 when she attempted to collect $15,562 in the judgment from the then-retired Captain Jones in Superior Court. But nothing came from that. In 1935, five years after Gordon's execution, a boy and his parents came forward and spoke to authorities. Seven years earlier, the boy had gone missing and the parents had reported his disappearance to the police. At the time of the boy's disappearance, authorities speculated that he might have been a murder victim at Wineville. But Stanford Clark, however, never told authorities about a boy that escaped from the chicken coop, and the national records and Stanford Clark's own testimony indicated that only three boys were ever held at the chicken coop. The, this was Walter Collins and the two brothers, as well as the Mexican one, but that that's a different story. And they were all murdered, though. So it doesn't make sense that this is true. They were probably just... At, this case was blowing up, so I feel like they were coming forward to more so get fame, I guess. that That's where I'm going to leave that one at. Stanford Clark did return back to Canada, and the city records indicated that he ended up dying in June, 20, June 20th of 1991, and he was buried in the Woodland Cemetery on August 26th, 1993. So they didn't bury him for quite some time, and I don't know why... Um, it did say that he also had to go to like a boarding school um, after the murders when he went back to Canada and he was there for quite some time and he wanted to use his story to kind of help people. But that's all the information I can find on Stanford Clark. Now, the horrors of the Wineville chicken coop murders were introduced again in 2008 when Clint Eastwood film Channeling was released. 
This story reflects Christine Collins attempting to recover her son, Walter. The movie also shows Christine Collins preserving the overcome and the unjust law enforcement system to learn the truth about her son. There is a theory that Walter was never really killed but escaped, and having escaped, the theory goes that he was too ashamed for whatever reason to return home. It is believed by some that he's either still alive or died recently of advanced age. The most common conclusion is that Walter was indeed murdered, but his body was too destroyed to be discovered to this day, or it's still hidden out there waiting to be found. Now, that that is the story of the chicken coop's murder. And it's a lot of information all at once, and it gets your brain kind of going. I found this story from another podcast, and... I just kind of heard a bit. It wasn't even a podcast about this. It was a podcast about something else, but they were talking about how this story kind of haunts them. So I decided to research it. And my Lanta was it a lot of information. Now, as we go into my thoughts with this, I get where Christine Collins thinks that her son might still be alive or that he was somewhere else. Because there was reports that there was a couple around the United States with a kid and he wanted to go home. And then the whole story about the foreign couple with the kid in the back of their car. I don't. I don't really know. Because I feel like you also have Stanford Clark who says that Walter was at the home and that he was there for quite some time. I just think it's a lot of trauma every which way. And some reports also said that when Jesse Clark was down with them, that um, Gordon actually attacked her as well. So that I only found that in like two statements. So I don't know how true that is. With this case being so old, it's hard to find concrete evidence. But it's a lot of information out there and there's twists and turns. Um, the movie by Clint Eastwood is a really good movie. So if you're interested more into the story of Walter, I would advise you to go watch that. Good acting, good movie. Super, super good to watch. Especially if you're interested into more of the Walter story. That is my thoughts on this case. If you have any comments on it, please leave them in the comments and we'll get to them. Go and join our TikTok. People are talking there too. Just make sure that you're being nice. I don't want... um the whole incest thing to be a real big focal point to this because it's not the focal point of this story. This is just about the boys and Stanford Clark that had to go through all of this within their lifetime. That brings us to the end of this episode. As always, thank you for listening to Murder by Nature. If you enjoyed our show, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any streaming platform that you're currently on. And be sure to come back next Saturday for our new episode. Until then, I am your host, Jasmine Hernandez. Don't forget to stay safe out there. Don't get murdered or murder people, you lovely humans. Have a wonderful Saturday.